Happy summer, everyone. August this year has five Wednesdays, so we're taking this week off as our summer vacation, and we'll be back next week with a new banger, and all that means we'll still be on track to get you four free episodes, two bonus episodes, and one bonus non-true crime episode this month. Those bonus episodes are available via Patreon or Spotify, and trust me, giving a few bucks to independent artists feels great. Oh, man, pass it along. I recently paid an under-the-rate our musician named Katie Dill, who I absolutely love for her new album via Bandcamp. And I've been bumping that new album and crying and loving her music and patting myself on the back for being a patron of the arts ever since. You know what I'm saying? Today, we are going to be re-airing our two-part series on the band Mayhem. Both episodes are up right now for you wherever you are listening to this. Stick around for all that. And if you need a break from true crime, check out another podcast I spent the last year working on. It's called The Good Stuff Podcast. And our recent guest, have included UFC Hall of Freakin' Famer Randy Couture, stuntman daredevil sweetheart badass street bike Tommy Passamonte, and one of my childhood friends who has grown up to be one of my grown-up heroes, and her name is Maya Scott, but there's a bunch of episodes up there. Um, I put a lot of heart into this show, and the uh, the hosts, Jake and Ashley, are amazing. Uh, so, you know, go take Give them a listen. You know what I'm saying? Leave them a five-star review and tell them Nick over at Muriel's Murder sent you. You know, we're growing the family, guys. So, okay, we're going to play a little trailer of the Good Stuff podcast for you so you can get a little taste of the vibe. And then we're going to go right into our Mayhem Classic. Parts one and two are up for you now. See you next week. Welcome to the Good Stuff. I'm Jacob Schick, a third-generation combat Marine. I'm his wife, Ashley Schick, a Gold Star granddaughter and proud co-host of our show. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey as we get to tell stories of inspiration and perseverance. Our guests range from some of my fellow warriors to NFL cheerleaders to extreme sports legends to New York City firefighters who survived 9-11. From one of the strongest women I know, Mama Judy Littlefield, to UFC Hall of Famer Randy Couture. I walked on a wrestling mat hoping to get a deadbeat dad's attention and it didn't work we found out the shooter had been taken into custody before we ever found out that Chad was the other man down. I cried because I wanted my mom to be what I thought was the version of normal, <laughs> a normal mom, and I just knew she wasn't, and she's sitting there doing drugs. The debris came down, and I didn't have an air pack, and I had my nose to the ground, and I'm saying, no, this isn't going to end like this. We believe everyone's got a story worth telling, not only about the peaks, but more importantly about the valleys and what's gotten them where they are today. We can't afford to get better over this. We're going to have to get better. Every single person I meet is better at something than I am. And with an open heart and an open mind, I have an opportunity to learn what that is and learn from that person. Discipline, the hard work, to finally be chosen and to know you made it, there really is nothing like it. We can do whatever we want in this life. And there's never been a better time to be alive than right now. From Leah Pictures, Q Code Media, and iHeartRadio. Welcome to The Good Stuff. Listen to The Good Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Welcome to Muriel's Murders. I'm Muriel, and I love true crime. I'm Nick, and I am not a fan. Thank you for joining us. Each week, I force Nick to listen to me tell him a story of a true crime.
This week, we're taking a listener request from Jamie. Yes. This is the absolutely insane story of the Norwegian black metal band Mayhem. Mm-hmm. Heads up, this is a particularly violent story, and there are a lot of F-bombs that are not my doing. <laughs> You're just quoting people. I'm quoting <laughs> a lot of people. Listen. Yeah, yeah. As soon as this episode starts, you're going to be entering into the world of mayhem, which is just a wild ass subculture of living. (laughs) Just realize like if you're sensitive to like, I don't know, satanic things or Uh incredibly violent things or, you know. I don't know. A lot of f bombs. This one's particularly <laughs> crazy, but yeah. it's really, really, really fascinating. Man, well, I'm not pumped on whatever goriness is ahead, but <laughs> I feel like this is like shooting pool or something for me. It's something I should know about. Should be cool <laughs> on those levels. You know what I mean? Like Norwegian black metal, like heavy metal death. Yeah, freaking singer rules. Oh, like yeah. I should, I should like know the bands and how it kind of works and what that world is like but i don't know anything so after this episode i plan on being uh decidedly cooler that's so weird for you to say (laughs) why is that weird for me to say i would never have guessed that that would be like something that made you not feel cool i feel like you think you're very cool i well i am okay (laughs) but as a cool person i can recognize the holes in my game you know what i mean this is a little plug so we're just (laughs) plugging a hole <laughs> but before we get to the embetterment of me as a person, we want to thank Cameron for joining our Patreon and inching us closer to that 100 subscriber mark. All right, people, if you're into what Muriel and I do here on this podcast and you're in a financial position to afford five bucks a month, those Patreon subscriptions are huge for us. So please check out the link in the show notes and unlock all those juicy, juicy, exclusive episodes. Uh, A lot of the times we're able to offer early access to our multiple part episodes on the same day that we drop part one. And this mayhem story is going to be a two parter. um, And we're going to hustle to get out the second part of this episode up early for our Patreon family all right remember this is a true story involving murder violence drugs adult themes etc so if any listeners are like nick and they don't want to hear about those kind of things please consider listening to a different podcast nope not today i'm feeling rock and roll baby i want all of it you know what i mean we're gonna joke (laughs) we're gonna curse we're gonna say weird things so if you don't like that kind of stuff turn us off all right nikki are you ready to hear this story no oh my god (laughs) All right, let's get started. Okay, I'm not going to do my death metal voice anymore, okay? Oh, there's black metal and death metal? I don't know the difference between any of these I'll talk a little bit about everything because I'm assuming that... You know, well, actually, this is the real deal. Uh-huh. I'm not assuming anything about people listening to the podcast. Maybe yeah. you know a lot about death metal. I'm assuming things about you, Nick Castellini. <laughs> Muriel's shoving her <laughs> finger in my face. I am assuming things about you. Okay. I know you did. You don't know. So yeah. I did put some things in here to kind of enlighten us. <laughs> Thank you, teacher. Hot <laughs> ass Miss Montgomery. Don't, don't. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. On a late summer night. In 1993, 
two members of the band Mayhem ran through a grimy apartment building in Norway in a death chase. The chaser, dressed head to toe in black, long dyed black hair streaming behind him, wielding a large knife hot on the heels of a terrified man wearing only underwear. Mm. In the end, Count Grishnak stabbed his bandmate Euronymous 23 times with a hunting knife, bringing the most notorious era in Norwegian black metal to an explosive conclusion. (laughs) That was so good, man. Uh, Man, I was really having trouble writing that for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the band Mayhem is a founding father of the Norwegian black metal metal scene Mm -hmm. it's one of the most famous bands in the genre still touring today and the only black metal band to be inducted into the norwegian rockheim hall of fame all right okay okay rockheim hall of fame yeah (laughs) what's that like rock and roll it's their rock and roll they call it rockheim yeah which i just thought was great (laughs) but it is like you know they're big i mean not to be condescending it's their big rock and roll hall of fame right all right so by the end of summer 1993, mm-hmm. at the time of this murder, Mayhem had been around for a whole decade, perpetuated the rise of Norwegian black metal, lost their lead singer to suicide, oh. and seen their founding member now murdered by their session bassist. And they hadn't even released their debut album yet. Oh, man. That is, I was going to say punk rock, but it's so metal to be like, yeah, we're a band for 10 years and we don't even have an album out yet. They don't have an album after all this. I'm saying the rise of black metal, like the founding fathers of the scene. They perpetuated this whole culture. Without actually putting out a record. They put out like some demos and some EPs, like some little things, but they had not put out an entire album in 10 years. Oh my God. So they're losing their own, they're losing their own members to horrible tragedies. Like so many before they, I mean, this band has turned over like eight times. Now, what I would like to say is I think this is a great example Mm -hmm. of like, this story is more about a scene than it is about music. Okay. Like yeah. when we start to talk about this, to me at least, uh-huh. I think the story, not not the genre or whatever, but just this particular story, uh-huh. the scene is looms larger than the actual music. Gotcha. And gotcha. I think this is a great metaphor of that. that they just yeah, like yeah. didn't have a this is nineteen ninety three and they yeah, didn't right. have a uh, album yet. I just think it's insane. <laughs> Anyway, what were you going to say, though? Uh, I don't remember. I can't. Well, I mean, I guess I'm from a family of bass players and session bass players are just supposed to be like the rock solid, like, you know, like they show up, they do the work. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not supposed to be killing the lead, like founding member. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. That's not in the job description at all, man. Well, these people were pretty wild. Yeah, I guess they were just so metal. They're like, well, we don't have albums. All, all, everything's out the door. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. So we're going to wind back the clock nine mm-hmm. years, okay? Mm-hmm. We're going to go back to 1984, to the beginning of it all. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just start with Norway, right? This is another thing. Like, I think of these, like, like Norway as being this really idyllic, beautiful mm-hmm, totally. place. Yeah. And honestly, in the 1980s, it I mean, it really was. Uh-huh. <laughs> so like, this is where 
this is where black metal was birthed out of, right? Like a peaceful, like wintry landscape or whatever. Exactly. It's like a hardcore study in contrast. So to draw you a picture, Norway of the 1980s was this like, I mean, I think it's still kind of like this today from the pictures I've seen, but Uh basically like a fairy tale land. So Uh Oslo was filled with these Easter egg colored buildings, you had fjords, medieval churches, Mm -hmm. and these like beautiful little wooden houses everywhere. Norway is a part of the Nordic countries at the highest northern tip of Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of them are actually in the Arctic Circle. That's That's how north they are. Wow. In the summertime, the days are super long. And in the wintertime, the nights can last up to 18 hours. You have 18 hours of darkness for the winter months. Oh, man, that is so cool. So presumably, way back in 1984, Uh on one of those long summer days or cold, dark, brutal 18-hour nights, Uh three 16-year-olds from a Norwegian suburb founded the black metal band mayhem all right all right so i'm going to introduce them by their given names Mm. but all of these uh guys go by aliases so we're going to use those throughout the story for clarity's sake and also because they refer to each other as these aliases and some of them are just amazing like count grishnak for instance yeah right it's their performance (laughs) it's their stage names yeah and and it's like nicknames yeah right i mean those are that's probably a nerdy way of saying it but it's true (laughs) Okay, so the yeah. original three members uh-huh. of Mayhem were guitarist Eystein Orschutz. Um, his first alias was Destructor, nice. but he thought that was kind of corny and mm-hmm. too on the nose, uh-huh. so he eventually changed it to the classic Euronymous. Okay. Okay. The bassist was Jorn Stubrud, and he went by Necro Butcher. Ooh, that's a good one. Hold on. You said the classic Euronymous. What does that mean? How's that classic? Like, I don't know. Is it like anonymous, but the European version of it? <laughs> no, like that's Euro- a dumb joke. <laughs> what? That's not a joke. You said classic. I Is literally- this because it says Euro? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that word means. No, I just thought it was funny. He's like, a destructor. And he's yeah. like, you know, actually, I'm going to go to something like classy, like Euronymous. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like a planet sound. Right. I yeah. think that there are like really hardcore etymology things about these names, but I didn't go Right. It's it. like a Viking folklore thing or something. Yeah. Or like there, a lot of them are like derivatives. And then there are also like songs that they like and other bands and, mm. you know, it's, it's all kinds of stuff. But sure. I'm not going to. I just was like, I don't think that's that interesting. Okay. Um, and the last member was the drummer. And that was Shaytil uh, Monheim. He did not have an alias. He also did not stay with the van very long. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So the main two people who really started this band and stayed with it were Euronymous and Necro Butcher. Okay. And the band started off basically with three 16-year-olds playing Black Sabbath covers. Sure, <laughs> so that's yeah. So how, that's how they started Yeah, off. I feel like that's how hella bands start. So Necro Butcher and Euronymous grew up next door to each other in a suburb outside of Oslo. They were both really compact dudes on the shorter side with square jaws. Like, they look kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And this long dyed jet black hair apparently roadie's nickname just by the way for necro butcher was uh. micro butcher which like, <laughs> are they throwing some shade at, the old, some at shade. his package but everybody's like really ribbing each other all the time you uh-huh. know? okay but euronymous and necro butcher despite kind of looking slightly similar they were really different kids 
So Necrobutcher loved to party and do drugs while Euronymous was more of a homebody. He had like a bunch of weird fringy friends and he was really into corresponding by mail and he had all these pen pals. Mm-hmm, like he's just, mm-hmm. you know, it was a very curated child. Sure, <laughs> like, sure, yeah. Euronymous is also super into communism and he joined Marxist-Lenin youth group. So he was active as a kid in these heavily political youth groups sure he sounds like very heady and sort of like intellectual sort of or you know going after some like you know i'm a i have pen pals sort of I'm like, right right yeah, right so dude. necro butcher's take on the whole thing was that euronymous he's like yeah euronymous mostly like to stay at home quote listening to brian eno and all his bing bong bing bong music <laughs> I didn't have time to fuck around with all that. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to party, man. Right. Yeah. But eccentric Euronymous, you know, he was a, he was really leaning in here hard and he fought for creative control over the band from the outset. So mm. he was always someone making these decisions. Now, there was no particular satanic bent to the band or its members in the beginning. They were just sort of sprinkled with the trappings of death metal. Black t-shirts, leather jackets, the occasional upside-down cross or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just like a little death, violence, and partying mixed together. Yeah, just a little aesthetic sprinkle on the top. Mm -hmm. But as time went on, the band evolved their style. For instance, Euronymous was one of the first to adopt corpse paint. So that was an adaptation of like the black and white makeup made popular by the band Kiss. Sure. But they did it like hardcore. (laughs) Right. Okay. It was like a more uh, corpsey, gritty version of the makeup. Uh, And that ultimately became a trademark of Norwegian death metal was this very specific style of face painting. uh Uh-huh. We'll talk about this a little later, but there have been kind of theories that because like Norway was so far away and kind of isolated from, you know, the rest of Europe and, you know, obviously like the U S and uh-huh. other places where metal was taking hold that, uh-huh. that there's, there's this idea that kids in this scene didn't really pick up on like the tongue and cheek part of metal. So they took it really like way, way serious. Right. Cause when you think about kiss and stuff like that, you know, there's some sort of theatrical fun playfulness. Of yeah. It. Right. And, and the way that black metal took hold in Norway was like, no joke. Right. Like so there is, it was without any sense of irony. There's a really strong like tent pole of the uh-huh. scene was just, straight up this is you have to be as true as you possibly can yeah to the ideals that you sing about so it's like there's no irony this is not a tongue-in-cheek movement and so think about that moving forward it's like what you know about black metal and like death metal and heavy metal from our side of the pond right right because you even hear like old interviews with ozzy osbourne and whatever and he's like yeah i'm here to put on a good show right so they are not about putting on a good show they are being like we <laughs> embody we embody the ideal right so but that's something to remember like to keep in mind moving forward okay, okay. I love this so much. And in Norway, in the late 80s, when this really started, Uh black metal dudes were just super underground and crazy. So it wasn't this like popular scene-y kind of thing. It was like, these people are (laughs) insane. There's like eight of them and they hang out in like one basement and you don't walk on that side of the street. Right. And like, 
in Norway at the time, like, you know, we'll also get into this a little further, but uh-huh. Norway banned the life of Brian. So the life of Brian is like a Monty Python comedy yeah. that was released in 1979. And they banned the life of Brian for being too blasphemous. So really? it's not, a, it's really interesting. Huh. I, I'm going to get into this later because I think it has a better place later in the episode, yeah. but it's not a super religious country and that everybody goes to church. Like uh-huh. only a very small percentage of people even go to church, but the separation of church and state mm-hmm. came in like 2012. Whoa. So it was a huge mm-hmm. part of the way that laws were created for a, a while. I just thought it was wild. So at the time these kids were kind of coming of age, yeah. life of Brian was banned. And I believe in Sweden, uh-huh. they would play the life of Brian. Cause all these countries are right next to each yeah, other. Yeah. They would play the life of Brian and the tag before the movie would start said yeah. so funny. It's been banned in Norway. I feel like that really, <laughs> really plays this idea that people out there were not quite grasping like irony or humor in right, this way. Right. There's something about that that really tickled me when I found that out. So anyway, that's kind of the Norway that they grew up in. It's really idyllic, uh-huh, yeah. right? It's not in, in the idea that like people go to church all the time, sure. but the culture is like, I think in 70 years of the cinematic history, yeah. they only produced one horror film. Whoa. You know, so that's just not a part of the culture. Sure. So when you see a guy walking down the street and corpse <laughs> paint, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah, really yeah. hits different than like when you're in LA or something sure, like sure, that. Sure, right? sure, 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 <laughs> sure. So in 1986, after playing for a couple of years, they started making their own music and they released their first demo pure fucking armageddon which is a great name that is a great name and it was immediately recognized as being one of the most extreme things coming out of the norway music scene Uh like ever right Right. yeah yeah just breaking speakers left and right right and they start gaining momentum. So after releasing the demo, Euronymous, who had been covering the vocals for the demo, expanded the band and he recruited two new session vocalists, um, Messiah mm-hmm. and Maniac. The next year, the band keeps going, right? Euronymous founds his first label. And at uh-huh. this point, I think he's like 19. So he founds his first label, Poser Corpse Music, which is a great name. Right? Yeah, also uh, very true to our serial killer whatever you know where they pose the corpse or whatever yeah. so but it's also double meaning like poser corpse also that's going to come into play later there okay well there's some corpse posing yeah oh shit well that's not funny but the other part the idea of being like a poser as yeah. a corpse is like there's some irony there that's there's some humor there it's pretty good yeah so out of the two session vocalists messiah quit the band and then maniac took over as the lead vocalist mayhem then recorded their first ep death crush featuring maniac Mm -hmm. and the limited 1000 copy released sold out like that like hotcakes it was out right oh that's so cool In addition to not really putting out a lot of albums, the band also didn't do very many live shows. (laughs) What they would do is they would record their music on cassette tapes and then sell them through fanzines all over the world. So globally. Oh, those are the good old days. I I know that was pretty cool. And, you know, that's part of like what is so fundamental about this Norwegian black metal scene Mm -hmm. is it was really the heart of an international musical movement. Right. Mm. So are you saying they were also, they were not just innovative for Norway, they were actually innovative on the larger metal Yeah, for sure. Scene? Black uh-huh. Norwegian black metal uh-huh. is like 
its own thing. It's its own thing, but mm. it really is like it, it pushed the genre in this crazy direction, yeah. right? It's its own specific subgenre, but there's lots of sub- specific subgenres of metal music. Right. Like if you look at death metal, mm-hmm. there are so many subgenres of death metal. Mm. Um, but Norwegian black metal wasn't just specific to Norway, meaning that like people were listening to it all over the world before the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, true to form, Necro Butcher would focus on sending tapes out to like the popular American and Australian markets, while Euronymous was just super into covering the really obscure death metal markets in Russia and China. So that's where he was like, Whoa. So, like, his pen pal yeah. stuff really came into play. You know, yeah. he was out there just looking for places, markets that were untapped, essentially. I would love to do that with our podcast if that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> just find like some cool ass people in some far ass off countries. So before we go any further, I'm going to answer a question I'm sure is on everyone's mind. What is up with Norwegian death metal? (laughs) What is it? Why Norway? What is going on? Okay. Okay? All right. So for those of us who need it, we're going to start with a quick metal primer. And now in addition to this, I'm going to put together a Spotify playlist Mm -hmm. that has music from mayhem music from mayhem's influences uh-huh. influence you know bands that influence them yeah and then also like brian eno bing bong music and some <laughs> other stuff that we're like looking at. all right great so we're gonna put the link to that spotify playlist in the show notes of this episode yeah okay great i'm into this but as much as i can do without like violating copyright laws i'll try to explain what <laughs> death music sounds like <laughs> So arguably Uh the heavy metal genre was developed in the UK and the US in like the late 60s and early 1970s. So I think most of us have a point of reference for Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Iron Butterfly. Those are the places, the bands that that kind of started this metal sound. Gotcha. Right? So black metal is an extreme subgenre of that sound mm-hmm. death metal is another popular offshoot of the same sound both subgenres were influenced by bands like venom and motorhead if you've ever heard those songs mm-hmm. i think motorhead is probably i've definitely I've like listened to motorhead music i Venom is one of those bands where it's like I've seen enough of their t-shirts right. to sort of grasp who's into them and what they sound like. Right, but if right. you played me a Venom song, I wouldn't be able to pick it out in right. a million years. Yeah. And I'm gonna be real. It's kinda hard for me to tell the difference between death metal and black metal. I I Someone had to say it. I mean, I God bless all of our listeners out there who really appreciate the nuanced differences. There's and I'm not gonna this is true for lots of different kinds of music for me, like in terms of techno versus house and trap or trip whatever there's all these different types <laughs> there's all these different subgenres that to the outside listeners sounds like one thing and then for anyone who listens to it they know the difference immediately yeah i kind of know that with like musicals you know it'd be like uh-huh. oh i don't like musicals and then i'll be like oh but listen to this it's not even like music. <laughs> they're like is it a musical you're like yeah but they're like, it's, i don't like it <laughs> exactly yeah so I listened to a bunch of mayhem and then I've read a little bit about the genre. And this is kind of the takeaway. Okay. Norwegian black metal out of, okay, you picture the thing, right? Which is like screaming really fast kind of drums, yeah. changing time signatures, you know, 
um, dark, grinding, distorted guitar. You uh-huh. know, that, that's kind of what we're talking about. Right. Specifically with Norwegian black metal, it tends to be specifically just more on the screechy side. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> really it's like the difference between raw, like we were doing earlier, uh-huh. and like, ah! Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. It's like screaming, high-pitched, like, like death rattles of like a dying cat kind oh, of oh not like the demon who's killing the cat not the dark but the high pitch just screaming Whoa. and it also includes a lot more mythology and folklore mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. so the guitars are still like really heavily distorted mm-hmm. and they have again these screeching high pitched guitar riffs and then they have the unconventional song structure right there's no verse chorus bridge stuff it's more just <laughs> different like repetitive aggressive attacking sections right All right, nice nice and like i said vocals screaming screeching Mm. high pitched the person being killed as opposed to the person doing the killing yeah or the person just i don't know just descending into some madness you know Uh something like that okay so the lyrics are really hyper focused on hating on Christianity and organized religion. That's mm-hmm. a big tentpole. You have a lot of apocalyptic scenarios, pro-Satan stuff, mm-hmm. war and death. But then it's also mixed with Nordic mythology and folklore. So you're thinking like forests and mountains, winter storms, blizzards, things like that. Okay, so I'm getting like a Lord of the Rings kind of yeah, yeah. influence here. Yeah, there's some sort of thing in there, mm-hmm, right? So mm-hmm. that's that's the big differentiating thing. They're the guys in the north who like really have a lot of Viking imagery and shriek really loud. Right, so it's like the Northmen, that movie we just saw. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's very similar. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So in the beginning, lots of black metal bands chose not to play live as an aesthetic. And we kind of touched on this, right? Like they didn't want to be commercialized or have posers at their shows. So (laughs) they were like true to the underground, you know? Uh So while early metal bands often had this tongue-in-cheek theatricality, Norwegian death metal bands were like dead serious about everything right i love that they don't even want to have social situations on the off chance that a poser would show up they don't want to have these bands right and when they did play live Uh it was about extremism and ritual rather than simple like music show right (laughs) they like light a bunch of candles and say a prayer no they impaled rotten animal heads on stakes and decorated the stage with them they They would have full-blown mock crucifixions they had medieval weaponry on stage band members soaked in animal blood there was like self-mutilation on stage it was like a crazy crazy scene and you know people in norway were like what is this right i mean there's no it's unprecedented well that's crazy too because that's even more theatrical i mean they're like well you know we're just going full theatrics so hard that like the music is not even a part of it they're not it's not though it is like it's not theatrical they're like this is who we are and if you want to see who we are you can come to a show but this is who we are. This is not like what we're doing. This is the core of our principle. So it's like they're putting on a spectacle, but they don't have lights on them. So you can like barely see what's going on. I mean, there. they're doing all, I mean, it, it, you know, it, it goes in and out. Obviously uh-huh. they're performers. And I think that there's an element of like, uh, like a, a, a tension between that because they yeah. also want to make money, right? Like you have to eat. 
Do they though? I mean, yeah. I mean, they don't, they need to be able to do the thing they want to do. If you're uh-huh. super broke, you can't afford studio time. Like yeah, you have you to get, get to like a, a gallon of animal blood. Right. And that, that kind of like tension <laughs> yeah. is something that really is a part of this early scene in a yeah. big way, you mm-hmm. know? So back to the story mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in 1988, the band saw a major upheaval, right? The founding drummer, Shadel Monheim, who did not have an alias. Uh huh. And the singer Maniac both quit the band. So now they're down again to two members, mm-hmm. right? So Euronymous replaced Shadel Monheim with 20-year-old drummer Jan Axel Blomberg, a.k.a. Hellhammer, mm-hmm. who was known as one of the most talented musicians on the Norwegian scene. Mm. The singer Maniac was replaced by 20-year-old Per Yngve Olin, a.k.a dead so this is the breakthrough configuration that became notorious for hellish live performances mm-hmm. you have necro butcher mm-hmm. you have euronymous yes you have Hellhammer, and you have dead nice. okay so yeah, this is yeah. when they really kind of came into this thing sounds like the four horsemen to me <laughs> so let's talk about dead okay uh-huh. he was a shy quiet kid he was really tall and super super thin with skin so naturally white, it was almost like a bluish translucent color. And he had this white blonde hair. He oh was one God. of the guys in the band who like didn't dye their hair black. He, that sounds like the dude from Game of Thrones. <laughs> one of those White Walker people. Yeah. So Dead was born in Sweden. He was not Norwegian. And he had severe sleep apnea as a child. So uh-huh. his parents often had to like shake him awake after finding him turning blue in his sleep whoa and dead was also horribly bullied as a kid so once he was beaten so badly at school that his spleen ruptured and caused this massive internal bleeding so he was rushed to the hospital after passing out and in the hospital he was declared clinically dead so between that experience where he went through the whole thing of like seeing the different phases of light and the white light. He talks about like the light at the end of the tunnel that people see. And then also this sort of deep sleep induced by sleep apnea. So he was pronounced clinically dead. And then the streets were like, your name actually is dead. You really are dead. Right. All of this experience led him to believe in all honesty that he was some kind of zombie. Right. Dude, this guy gets to do black metal this guy is the most hardcore dude of all time he yeah. earned his stripes he are you thought kidding he was like me? a naturally dead person yeah. more co- corpse than human really euronymous once said of him quote i honestly think dead is mentally insane <laughs> <laughs> you know if you're you know if euronymous is saying that it's really something yeah right whoa so at the time like in 1988 dead was frontmanning a horror themed band called morbid in sweden uh-huh and then he heard mayhem was looking for a new singer because maniac had just quit yeah so dead sent the band a package with a letter detailing all the ideas for the band's future that he had uh-huh. a demo tape and a crucified mouse that is brilliant and he was in 
that was like they yeah he sealed the down. deal <laughs> yeah they sealed the deal well this was the era of hollywood too when people had a hot script and they would send like some crazy publicity stunt <laughs> shit you know yeah. like a package with a thing or something but for these guys yeah not a publicity stunt he just said i did this thing to this mouse i would like you to see it right because this is yeah. natural for me <laughs> right. okay yeah 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 when and so when Dan arrived to Norway from mm-hmm. Sweden to join the band, Necro Butcher took him under his wing. So he helped him find a place to live and stuff and mm-hmm. was kind of, hey, welcome to the band, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, Euronymous took the opposite approach. And this is also acceptable within the, like, the scene in that Euronymous is like, I'm just being real, right? Mm-hmm. So he started flexing on Dead right away he he liked to try to psych dead out by telling him stuff like pulling him aside and being like hey no one in the band actually likes you and if you were really legit and not a poser you should just kill yourself and actually be dead like he'd sit there and like pump him full of stuff so like Euronymous, that makes me hate him i Euronymous is like known for there's lots of different expressions of whatever like true black metal was Euronymous is, is more like evil than depressed Right. So like he's like, I'm actually going to hurt people. I'm actually going to be evil. But in this world, and this is the hard thing about this episode moving forward is like, it's incredibly violent and it's going to just, there's a lot of crazy shit that happens. But in this world, and even today when you read old, like new interviews from people who are in the scene at the time, they just believed that they were behaving in the way that they believed you know what I'm saying? So it, yeah. it, there's a different like morality system within the world, right? There's a different ethics right. system. It's like the main thing that's important is like you're true to your beliefs. So if mm-hmm. if Euronymous wants to say he's evil, then Euronymous is evil. You can't get mad at him for being evil. You know what I mean? It sounds like a very familiar line of logic. Oh, and they all are participating. And mm-hmm. that's the idea is like you want to be in this scene. This is what the scene is. Yeah. And this is what people do. Yeah, ex- uh, you know, accept my cruelty and, you know, whatever shittiness, if, unless you're a poser. But it it, it kind of yeah. like, and it cuts both ways. Like, dead stab Euronymous once, you know? Like, oh, oh, okay. Not to kill him, but just like in <laughs> anger, right? Like, they just do stuff yeah. to each other and it's like all acceptable. This whole story sounds like it's heading towards a very Norwegian black metal version of Dave Chappelle's sketch, uh, When Keeping It Real Goes Wrong. <laughs> You know, wait, I don't remember that. It's just like it's one of those sketches he used to do where there would be different versions of like gangster ass dudes, like keeping it real, and then suddenly just like the consequences are, you know, catastrophic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, I think, literally this story. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay. Uh, so like we said, Mayhem didn't play very many live shows, right? Too many posers. <laughs> but Dead made this really big impression yeah. on the black metal scene. So first off, Dead really perfected the corpse paint thing. He mm-hmm. really got it looking because his skin was already so white. He right. really got it looking like he was a straight up corpse. It was probably like a less is more situation. It, I think so. I mean, the uh-huh. pictures are really haunting. They're uh-huh. pretty insane. Now... Just again to reiterate, they were like, "This has nothing to do with the band Kiss." Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not the same fake Hollywood crap. This makeup is really about Be- looking dead yeah. AF, right? Uh-huh. So they, you know, want to make sure we know that. Dead would also bury his stage clothes in a hole, 
and leave them there and then dig them up before he did shows. So he looked like he had just crawled out of a grave with like bugs and dirt in it and stuff. Okay, that's pretty good. And apparently he also kept a rotting crow carcass in this bag and he would open the bag and smell it right before he went on stage so he could have the scent of death in his Whoa, nostrils. Oh, that's, that's next level. I'm telling you, yeah. like we're going to go deep into this. Yeah. So just as your logical brain kicks ahead, just yeah. know we're talking about kids who are just like, this is not ironic. This is yeah. living the life. Never before have I just heard of a situation where I was like, man, I wish that kid had just been like huffing glue or something. <laughs> Uh, and even in the same vein he also Uh, used to keep dead geese under his bed for periods of time just so it would smell like death in his room yeah i mean that's also not only (laughs) does that smell like death that's the worst smelling thing there is so at one really famous mayhem show in 1990 the band had drawn a crowd of about 300 people there was like a lineup and about 300 people had shown up for Mm -hmm. this concert in norway Mm -hmm. so mayhem filled the stage with rotting pig's heads on stakes and then when they got they took the stage they threw the heads at the audience to get rid of the posers And they did it until there were about 50 audience members <laughs> left at the end. And people were just like, what is going on? And in the middle of the set, yeah. during a song with no vocals, Dead crushed a glass bottle and he cut his arm so badly he had to go to the hospital afterwards. Mm. So that was like, you know, the climax in the middle of the set. Wow. And fans would actually like send the band artwork that had been drawn in blood and dead. And another bandmate, I don't remember who it was. It might've mm-hmm. been Hellhammer. We're known to like sometimes write lyrics in blood. They were all just kind of using blood as that. Was yeah. A part of it. Okay. okay. All right. In 1990, the band, moved into an old house in the woods outside of Oslo that they named um, The Devil's House. And they started working on their first studio album, De Mysteris Dom Satanus. If I pronounced that correctly. <laughs> you did, I can promise you, you, do, I'm close. you I did I'm better than close. I could ever do in the history <laughs> of my life. Do you want to try to do it? Sure, show it to me. You know what? Actually, on second thought, out of respect for our Norwegian listeners, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I think it's Latin. Oh, God. Well, with respect for anybody, for the respect of the of humankind, <laughs> me butchering other languages is, is not uh, pleasurable for anyone. <laughs> okay. So, Dead, naturally, from the minute he mm-hmm. hit you know, Norway was known for having this introverted, depressed quality just in general. He was always like that from, mm. from day to day. Yeah. But in the devil's house, things took a downturn. Wait, what's the devil's house? Um, that would be the house that they named that they were living in. Okay. In 1990, the band moved to an old house in the wood outside of Oslo that they nicknamed the devil's house. Okay. That's, you just reread what you read a second ago. <laughs> okay. My bad. So in the devil's house, things uh-huh. took a downturn. <laughs> According to Hellhammer, Dead was really down about how broke they were. Basically, Uh Euronymous had promised everyone in the band they were going to hit big. But as time dragged on, they were so broke, they couldn't even afford groceries. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it kind of seemed like Euronymous was like delusional. So they were just living in this 
old broke down house they had no food Mm -hmm. you know you need money to record they're supposed to be working on this album Mm -hmm. they still haven't recorded an album you know (laughs) so you know morale is low sure and according to hellhammer dead spent most of his time alone writing letters and drawing and just sitting in his room all his friends and family were in sweden and as he kind of isolated he got deeper and deeper into this depressed sort of state that he was in. Oh, that hurts my heart so bad. Well, this part, the next part is going to be pretty sad. So just, yeah. okay. just prepare yourself. It's pretty sad and it's like the worst thing possible. So just yeah, steal yourself. Yeah, okay. At this point, Necro Butcher remembered Dead and Euronymous bickering a lot as their relationship deteriorated. So eventually those two just did not get along. Like one time, Euronymous was feeling super antagonistic and evil, so he wouldn't stop blasting German synth music in the middle of the night. So Hellhammer's parents lived nearby. He just bounced. He left. And eventually, Dead didn't have anywhere to go, so he gave up and he went out into the woods to sleep, which he actually did fairly often he liked to just kind of be a corpse in the woods uh-huh. so Euronymous not satisfied followed dead out into the woods and kept shooting a shotgun in the air saying he was like hunting for birds in the middle of the night so that's like the vibe of what's going on in the house <laughs> oh my god what's up with German synth music it's uh it's something that everyone in the band hated that Euronymous was just really into and we'll talk a little more about that as it goes on i'll explain the types of stuff he was into Uh basically it's like i think most of the band was just like i like metal and uranus is like i'm eclectic right so Uh he's like he liked the brian you know bing bong music he Uh liked different things that were kind of more happy Uh and or whatever so (laughs) (laughs) less streaking and more like musically i don't know very okay all right (laughs) something with verses and choruses in it they were like what is this this isn't real oh and that was like torture like how didn't the u.s government pump in like britney spears or something yeah to like yeah okay i get it yeah so you know it got really bad between the two guys Mm -hmm. uh the rumor is dead stabbed euronymous at some point in the early 90s just to be like you're an asshole Mm -hmm. uh so you know it's it's pretty intense Everything comes to a head on April 8th, 1991. So the band is living in Devil's House out in the woods. And at the time, they only had one key to the front door for all four guys. So Euronymous came home. The front door's locked. So he walks around the house trying to find a way into the house. And he finds the only room with an open window. And that's Dead's room. So Euronymous climbs into the window and he finds this horrific scene. 22-year-old Dead had cut his wrists and neck and shot himself in the head with a (sighs) shotgun. So... His band members all said that there were some clues to kind of indicate Dead's super, super dark sense of humor. He killed himself wearing a I Heart Transylvania t-shirt, mm-hmm. like a white, you like know. Like a tourist shirt. Tourist shirt. Uh-huh. And then he started out his suicide note saying, excuse all the blood. Um so the suicide mm-hmm. note went on to say, quote, I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway. To give some semblance of an explanation, I am not a human. This is just a dream and I will soon wake. Hmm. According to a suicide note, Dead had attempted to die in the woods, but the air was too cold and his knife wounds kept clotting. So he 
wasn't dying. So he decided to go inside, write the note, and then use the shotgun. So the first thing Euronymous did before calling the police was to run down to a corner store and buy a disposable camera. Then he went home and posed the body along with the murder weapons and some other objects in the bedroom and then stood over the bed and took a bunch of photos from above the body in these kind of posed ways. He then collected all the skull fragments he could find. I told you this gets really crazy, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling you what happens because this is like... Not even the peak of what happened, yeah, but this yeah. is what happened, okay? Yeah. Um, so this is according to a, a few of the bandmates. Hellhammer, in a later interview, said, quote, we also found some of the brain, and Euronymous took it, cooked it in a stew, and ate it so he could claim himself to be a cannibal. There was even a fleeting idea to retain other parts of dead before the police arrived. Euronymous thought of sawing his arm off and putting it under a glass display case, but he figured it wouldn't be very smart because the police would probably ask where his arm was. Euronymous went on to make necklaces out of the little pieces of dead skull and either selling them or giving them out to musicians that he liked. And this is like confirmed by tons of people that have received the necklaces. The photograph of dead... Mm -hmm ended up on the cover of a bootleg Mayhem album released in 1995. So after Euronymous was stabbed to death, they found all of the photographs in his parents' house, and that somehow made it onto an album cover. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, right? Yeah. So out of all the people in the band and the world, Necro Butcher was really disturbed about this development right he was really disturbed about Euronymous making the necklaces out of the skull he was really grossed out about the photographs and all the other nasty stuff he did so Necro Butcher quit the band I mean it's just I mean I don't know I guess everyone's definition of what a poser is would be different but capitalizing on something like that just seems opportunistic and fake as hell to me yeah I mean I think the argument would just be like we are not afraid of these things. Like they don't hold the same meaning for us as they do for you. From what I've read, Mm -hmm. they just didn't see, most of them didn't see a tragedy in that situation. They just saw somebody kind of living their life to its conclusion, its foregone conclusion. And they see Euronymous doing something that he's open about. Like he says, this is who I am and this is what I do. And he did it. So they're like, whatever your thing is, it's not what our thing is. You know, we're just, we're doing what we say. Is Yeah. I don't know. Call me old fashioned. I'm, <laughs> it just makes me sad. I'm, I know it would make you sad and I'm sorry. I think that, you know, the point of talking about it is just to no, illustrate I get like yeah. how drastic this was, yeah, right. you know, like yeah. this is how, this is the root of this scene, you know? Mm-hmm. So. All of these things leave the band with only two members now. Again, Euronymous and Hellhammer. So they have a lead guitarist and a drummer. Mm -hmm. And an unrecorded album. So completely unfazed, two months later in the early summer of 1991, Euronymous forges ahead and he decides to open a record shop called Helveta, or hell in English. Mm-hmm. And from hell, he started a new label called Death Like Silence Productions. 
So from his hell shop, he started cultivating a new personality, that of an ancient evil being who wore a cape and carried one of those wheat thresher rapier things that death cartoons carry. So mm-hmm. he would just like walk around doing stuff like that. Yeah. I would call that a sickle. Is it not a sickle? Yeah, maybe. I don't really know what they're called. Yeah. Okay. Euronymous, you know, he's back in business and he gets busy replacing dead and necro butcher so he could continue working on mayhem's upcoming album Mm -hmm. he ended up replacing necro butcher with a dude named occultist who did vocals and also played the bass and euronymous then also took this opportunity to develop his record shop so Mm -hmm. shake it off we're going back into the story We're still in this world, okay? I know, like, I know. This I is got, the world. This is the world. I'm fine. What, you just want me joking again, you know, interrupting you with bits? You know what I mean? I'll do that. I'll, you, you don't know? have to, but I'm just telling you, like, mm-hmm. this is the world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Helveta, or Hell, was financed by 22-year-old Euronymous's parents. Mm, he's it, a rich kid? Yeah, So, or, or at least, like, a kid whose parents would buy him a record shop. I don't know. Just get out of the woods, okay? (laughs) They're out of the woods, okay? Yeah, right. So this new record shop was in this massive stone building in a burnt-out neighborhood that was full of porn shops and brothels. Mm -hmm. And the master plan was for Hell to be this specialized death metal store with black metal available, right? So Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, like death metal was a bigger genre. Mm -hmm. So the problem with having like a black metal specialty store well, none of the bands make records what are you gonna sell albums. there's no albums to sell <laughs> yeah, there right. weren't even enough records to like populate a decent sized aisle at a store right yeah right so, so they just have like pig heads in a fridge in the back to right, go by right so he's like okay 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 it'll yeah. be death metal uh-huh, uh-huh. with a black metal specialty right gotcha and a black metal label attached to it mm. So the first issue with the shop was that the space was enormous. It was far too big to house a small niche record store, which like even with death metal, that's still a very small niche, you know, record store at the time. Right. And Euronymous had so little inventory that his solution to this whole thing was just to shut off half the building that he was paying rent for. Mm-hmm. And then he just kept the other half for like partying. <laughs> that sounds... That makes some sense to me. Yeah, we, he's 22. He's I'm like, with that. that sounds great. Yeah, it right. sounds awesome. Uh, not the most like, uh, you know, cost conscious decision. But <laughs> right, but his parents are renting it. He's like, you know, this is cool. We'll do the, we'll burn all the bodies back there and, yeah, you know, make it happen. Something, something. So he focused next on ambience. So his initial idea was that the whole shop would be so dark you couldn't see. And then people would have to use torches to look at records. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm saying there's a lot going on in this shop, okay? <laughs> the only thing more expensive than your electricity bill would be your like torch oil. <laughs> <laughs> so he blacked out the windows and he uh-huh. tried this thing out, but the torch thing didn't work at all. It just didn't work. Really. I mean, Burning records, no one could, could see. Right? So he compromised by lighting the whole shop with spooky candles. So he got that out of the way. Okay, right. He got a mannequin and he dressed it in an old, weird hooded robe. Mm-hmm. And he got some other satanic paraphernalia. Yeah. And the end result 
you know, at the end when he was ready to open, <laughs> it ended up scaring the occasional random walk-in Christian that was in the neighborhood. Uh-huh. But mostly it seemed theatrically silly, right? And this is something Euronymous publicly railed against. Like this is anti-scene, right? Mm-hmm. But sort of low-key, he leaned into it. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> There was like some sort of thing that was always a controversial thing about Euronymous. Like nobody really could tell how much he believed in what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that too sounds like maybe someone just come coming like fully out of whatever sort of, uh, leftover teenage energy they were bringing into their twenties. Yeah. Right. You know, and like, well, maybe if I crack a joke or two, like someone might want to have sex with me eventually. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe. So, the other issue with the space rent, we've touched on this, is money, right? The rent was too expensive for the little high-quality niche record store to support, mm-hmm. and plus they weren't using half the building. Euronymous had his new label, but he was so bad with money that he had a really hard time getting any capital together to actually produce any records. Mm-hmm. Like, he couldn't get studio time. He just he couldn't front anyone, even <laughs> though people really wanted to make records with him. Yeah. And after, just to, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but mm-hmm. after Dad committed suicide, it totally bolstered the band's cred in the scene, you know, as you can imagine. So, you know, right. bad for, you know, like yeah. for us, it's horrific. Right. For them, it was like, whatever. He capitalized on this thing. And so Euronymous yeah. would go out and say, like, we're so hardcore. Like, we had this singer that was so true to who he was right. that he did this thing. And so... You know, it really did, even though Mayhem hadn't released an album, Yeah. you know, and only had two members, it was like skyrocketing in popularity. Well, in very different but remarkably similar ways, we kind of covered that same dynamic in the Mac Dre Patreon episode, you know, where it's like these sort of like, you know, in that world, like if you're like a actual criminal then that can sort of bolster your credibility and your popularity it's a very similar mechanism except for these guys are you know they're just doing it to themselves and each other in this like uh well i guess i don't know no it's it's kind of similar it is it's really really similar yeah Yeah. so people really did want to make records with him like people from other countries wanted to make records Mm -hmm. on his label so like even though he hadn't really made a record and he didn't have any money and he had this kind of weird shop that he opened up he really was the centerpiece of this exploding scene Mm -hmm. but regardless he still had the same problem he didn't have any money he just couldn't make any money right mm-hmm. so even though the dream of the shop was to be this anti-commercial you know nest of evil they slowly started selling metallica albums to make ends meet like expanding the thing <laughs> i love how that's some like, <laughs> like a sellout <laughs> yeah that's a hell of soft however Despite all of this stuff, the mannequins, the torch thing, like Uh whatever, Euronymous had this field of dreams moment. He built it and they came. Uh Teens from all over Norway started showing up. They were walking down the street in broad daylight in full-blown corpse paint, walking into this like weird shop that had no sign with blacked out windows. Sure. And when you went inside the shop, you'd find like, all of these teenagers lurking in the dark shadows of the shop trying to perfect their evil mystique, like Uh buying records by candlelight and like brooding in the corner. So that was like the idea. And I think this is interesting because for me, like 
I don't know if anyone else has this mental picture, but yeah. when I think of like black metal and death metal and yeah. stuff like if I, I think about somehow like Ozzy Osbourne or older people, right? Like I think of like these strong, like patriarchal figures. And, yeah, right. You know, I think of these guys as being like 40 years old. But yeah. when you really look at this, the oldest people in the scene were like 22. Yeah, totally. And then totally. like you're talking about like 14 year olds from yeah. like the suburbs, even though the scene ends up being this devastating wrecking ball and this insane right. sort of real life consequence you know, tragedy tragedy yeah the people involved were like teenagers hiding at corners being like do i look cool in these pants <laughs> yeah right you know? of course yeah wow that's right so soon the shop became this epicenter of norwegian black metal and at the center of that was cape wearing pointy wax goatee sporting Euronymous. Mm-hmm. now Euronymous, like i said he's super coming to his own he's the center of attention which mm-hmm. is like where he always had wanted to be mm-hmm. and he started working out all the time so he was super buff so the pictures of him from that era are just this like squat buff dude with Mm -hmm, these goatees mm -hmm. that look like it waxed into a curl like a devil's beard (laughs) and these like capes and all this viking jewelry and stuff like that well i think that also lends itself to us kind of imagining them as older people because all of their i like the iconography or whatever they're working with is all of like ancient beings right right but they're they're young you know yeah and by most accounts you know working against him he just had too much energy to be characterized as dark and depressed so he just you know leaned into this energetic evil thing Mm. and this carefully crafted image would only be betrayed by his personality, okay? <laughs> he was just a naturally really enthusiastic dude yeah. who loved to like show people his favorite things. He yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. look at this crazy cross I got. You have to listen to this record. It's so good. Yeah, like, right. That type of enthusiasm was something that was really present in him that really was difficult for people to reconcile you know right he's like got that great sort of joyous sort of nerdiness about you know that come with people myself included a hundred percent when they're just pumped on stuff right and you know other things would crop up that would really illustrate that like for example despite the dark crazy music he produced that's supposed to be like the way of life for this yeah. whole scene that he was the center of. He was low-key, like, very into the German electronic band Kraftwerk. Hell yeah. Which, if you're not familiar, is something that is definitely not cool in the black metal scene. <laughs> We're going to be putting that on the uh, playlist. I threw a couple songs on there. So I listened to two Kraftwerk songs because I really wanted to get a feeling of, like, okay, are they being annoying you know like i assumed it was gonna be kind of grindy you know german house music or something uh-huh. <laughs> like something adjacent to black metal but just not exactly black metal right 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 like someone splitting hairs to say it's weak or something right so i listened to a couple of songs one of them <laughs> that i was shocked so one of them's a really poppy synth tune about this burnt out fashion model who regains her career and gets famous again and everyone's happy at the end and there's no (laughs) irony yeah (laughs) which i just loved it was just a story it's just a guy with a german accent telling this like story in english about she's really sad and now she's happy again because she's famous and then Uh the song just ends with him saying he wants to date her again (laughs) 
And then the other one that was really great had this like sweeping electronic harp line with this guy softly repeating Tour de France over and over again. And it had like bike sounds in the background and panting layered over the top. So like, (laughs) and the whole song is literally just (laughs) ambient soundscape of what it's like to like ride in the Tour de France. (laughs) That is so funny. The idea that they were like, yeah, I I would imagine that if you were on the Tour de France, you would just be chanting Tour de France, Tour Tour de de France, France, Tour de de France France." over and over again in your mind while you're pedaling the bike. That's how you could mentally power through. Right. I mean, they're incredible and they're just so innocent and like, what like bald you know like they are what they are and i just uh-huh. thought that, that was so funny uh, people so, really cite craft work as influences all types of musicians i always hear craft work come up well uh regardless you know these songs are just a, a very far cry from mayhem songs like <laughs> the classic chainsaw gut fuck <laughs> it's one of their most popular songs <laughs> okay, uh, okay so <laughs> Anyway, Mm -hmm. despite this craft work love, like this love of craft work or whatever, Mm. you know, Euronymous forged ahead. He set up a crash pad in the basement for parties and hookups in the shop until it got too gross to use for anything. They would hold these massive weirdo parties by candlelight with Viking costumes, corpse paint, and capes, and they would shoot off guns inside the shop. (laughs) He started giving lectures So he would do these lecture series on things like methods of torture and the nature of evil. And then he would also walk around the shop just whipping himself in the back in front of people without (laughs) saying anything. All right. So slowly, the people who hung around the shop, the teenagers, but also a lot of other musicians and bands, you know, that were Mm -hmm. kind of probably more in the inner circle, Mm -hmm. um, they started to form what was called the Black Circle. This is the name for the informal black metal nexus of people centered around Euronymous, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the band, the real friends of the band, you know, the other bands that were coming through this space and Mm -hmm. then probably at the very fringes, the teenagers, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Were there women involved? Uh... I feel like that's a complicated question. I Yes, but I think in not a very awesome way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the story that I read, mm-hmm. there weren't any women of note, mm-hmm. but I think that there are women of note in the genre, mm-hmm. but I just don't know. So yeah. I, I can't really speak to it. In this particular story, it was more like a groupie situation than it was like people in the scene. Right. So this black circle of people hanging around the shop, mostly dudes, they started to commit small acts of vandalism. So they started out by stealing tchotchkes from churches and like decorating the shop with them. And then they would go and desecrate graveyards. So they would do these little pieces of vandalism around Norway. Mm-hmm. That sounds like shitty little pieces of vandalism. Not Pretty like shitty. cool graffiti or something. <laughs> So in June, and this was just about a month after this hell record shop opened, Mayhem's new bassist slash vocalist, Occultus, quit the band 
after Euronymous had the black circle kids burn a cross in a cultist's front yard and throw rocks through his window. Jesus. And Euronymous never said why, but he was just like, <laughs> fuck a cultist like, for some reason. It's like his hazing of the new band member well, tradition. he quit, and then that left him with two people again. Yeah, right. So a cultist is now gone. It's still a two-man band. They have not recorded their album. And, you know, it's the summer of 1991. Now, this is when this fundamental shift happened yet again. There's a debate about when the pro-evil thing really took hold in Euronymous's Hell Shop. Mm -hmm. But most people agree it escalated with the addition of Mayhem's new bassist, a handsome milk-drinking, straight-edge 18-year-old named Count Grishnak, Mm. who, after burning several churches to the ground, would eventually stab Euronymous to death in the stairwell of his apartment building. Fuck. So next week, we talk about the rise and fall of Count Grishnak, a rash of arson that left 22 churches burned. Oh, my God. And the frenzied stabbing of not one... But two men in the name of that Norwegian black metal life. <sighs> that <laughs> that sounds like a uh, really ridiculous reality show. <laughs> that Norwegian black metal life. <laughs> said we're going to try to get part two up on our patreon before it hits the uh regular free podcast apps next wednesday so just wanted to throw that in there before you turn us off but now we'll back get to it our... in there we'll get it in there the next couple of days yeah <laughs> uh but now back to our regular outro thank you so much for listening to muriel's murders muriel did all the research and the writing and the hosting shout out to jamie for this uh great recommendation shout out to me for uh recording this thing and editing it and all that kind of fun stuff this podcast was recorded in our living room to help support the podcast and to unlock exclusive episodes please sign up for our patreon at w www.patreon.com slash Muriel's Murder. You've probably noticed in the news that crypto's bombing and NFTs are stupid. Well, I'm here <laughs> to tell you that I actually probably agree with that. But we do make some NFTs for Muriel's Murders, just a simple fun way to support the podcast. Not an investment, not a scheme. <laughs> it's just if you want to throw us a couple bucks... <laughs> It's voice.com slash salty gray. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's just a dumb, simple way to support the podcast. Not an investment, not anything like that. Check us out. Follow us on social media at Muriel's Murders to check out our artwork. Our DMs are open. We try to do our best to follow everyone back, and we try to do our best to stay up on correspondences. Uh, our g- Gmail is Muriel's Murders at gmail.com. Hit us up. Please rate and review Muriel's Murders on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us grow. Seriously. And if you're listening on Spotify, please rate us there as well. And guess what? You can add this to a list of podcasts uh, that you like and share it with your friends. That's right. <laughs> and you're going to be on Spotify anyways because you're going to be checking out Muriel's Metal Mix. You yeah. know, check out that Just link in the show notes. Our music, speaking of hardcore, is by Mario Castellini. Find him on Instagram at Castellini Beats. That's it. Have we, a great day. We love you. Bye. Bye.